0: Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guest's experience.
1: This week with us around the table, Julia, we've got Debbie Reed.
2: Yeah, and she's an interesting podcast guest to have this week because this is a dental nurse with a real, real difference.
1: She's got an incredible story from starting out in the Navy, going through a
2: whole host of different
1: education aspects, both her own education as well as educating others. She's she's
2: really done a lot. She's, She's done a huge amount. I mean, she's done a professional doctorate. She's currently a senior lecturer at the University of Kent. And I think
1: all of our colleagues listening, but especially our dental nurses, are going to be really inspired by what she's got to say.
0: With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin.
1: Debbie, welcome to the podcast. You've had a, a really interesting career, and I can't wait, and I'm sure Julia can't wait to explore this a little bit further. But like all of our guests, we like to go back to the start initially before we get onto that journey. So can you tell us what got you into dentistry as a field in the first place? Where did it all start?
0: I joined the Navy when I was 17, but I didn't join the Navy as a dental Nurse. I joined the Navy. Well, I didn't join the Navy as a dental nurse because I didn't know that they had dental nurses, but I joined the Navy and I'd been in the Navy three years and I was on exchange out in Australia. Um, and the Navy signaled to say that they were going to close the branch down that I joined. Did I want to do something else? And when I was back in the UK, um, I was actually in a, uh, a living accommodation with two people that were working within uh, the dental practice. One was a dental hygienist and one was a dental nurse. And they always they were so enthusiastic about what they did. Um, I couldn't help but be very interested in in what they were doing, but the problem was that I'd only I joined the navy and I'd got one O level in English literature, so that was a bit of a sticking point. But I s- asked if I could attempt um, the uh, to apply for being a dental nurse, and on the condition that I was I went back to college uh, back to night school and did um, an O level another O level. Um, and also, I had to do my joining up exam again to get a higher mark. So, you know, all these conditions and and obstacles. And I thought, right, well, okay, in, you know, we're in in for a penny. <laughs> um, so, so I went to Truro Careers Office and I had to sit my joining up exam again. Um, and then I uh, and I got the the marks that I needed. And at the same time, I was studying at at uh, the local um, college in Helston um, for uh, O level Human Biology. It was. But the Navy, I think, must have had somebody drop out from their training course because they signaled to me to come through early and I could take my, my human biology exams while I was actually studying on the, the course, which, um, which I was very grateful for. It's certainly fair to say that you
2: discovered a place that you felt comfortable in, that you thrived in, that you enjoyed, and then you seem to branch out into teaching mm. and sort of examining and mm. getting involved in professional societies and things like that. Mm. So perhaps tell us that next bit of the journey where you started then teaching and, and being active in professional societies.
0: Mm. So, so as, a, as one of the um, elements to gain promotion, leadership was one of the, the fundamental Sort of underpinnings that everybody was expected to be able to demonstrate, and part of the leadership, leadership and team working, was the ability to not just focus on your own career, but focus and encourage the careers of those that were more junior to you, and encourage them to to progress. Um, And so, as I described to you about doing those exams, um, I then in turn, once I, been through that, was in a position then to. Be able to influence and encourage those that were coming new into the into the uh, into the dental branch to do the 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 exams and sort of started work on with them to coach them through and encourage them to um, aspire to move on and to get promoted and, and and so on. So that was the first, if you like, test putting my foot in the water with other other people, um, and. Th- one of the the ways that the navy works is that once people have done initial training they then did training that was um uh, uh about 3 months immediately afterwards it was a bit like foundation training for dental nurses um, but it was a 3 month um they called it doing your task book so you could prove that you could do it out on the ground sort of thing um so i had quite a lot of people that um were sent to me um, that were going through that phase that must have
2: been quite forward thinking i mean this is yeah. obviously quite a while back yeah. and yeah. actually trying to get this sort of task assessment yeah. type yeah. um things in the working place was yeah. that sounds quite groundbreaking then
0: i know i know and, and so so they the the navy um had really evolved a, a an excellent structure, but then I would say that I suppose the Royal Air Force and and the Army Dental Corps have had, would have had something similar, but it wouldn't have been as good as Navy, of course. <laughs> but no, yeah. um, so so, but but the the whole point was it was automatic about succession planning. You were always encouraging people to think about the next step, so they so that you were building a pool of people that could then move on as others were were, were being promoted. So. I think from getting involved with um, with that sort of uh, a me very operational sort of teaching, coaching, mentoring uh, role, um, and being reasonably successful, the tr- people at the training school um, recognised that I'd got some potential skill there, um, and so they invited me to. Um, go up to the, be part of the training school and i wasn't at all certain whether that's something that i really wanted to do um so i thought i spoke to one of um one of uh, the senior dental officers that um i'd worked for at Cauldrose and somebody i, I respected hu- hugely um and and he just said well why don't you give it a go you don't have to stay up there but it, but it's an experience it will i mean we didn't really talk in terms of cvs and things but in essence that's what he was saying it would build you know build build up your um your um records of where you you know the 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 uh, different areas that you've worked in so um, i agreed to go up to uh, hms nelson and i was really really fortunate because um at the time, I was very, you know, I was quite junior and, and things. But um, I there was a chief uh, there, a chief friend there called Pauline Last, and um, she was uh, a uh, she was really sporty, um, and she got a really good coaching, just way about her. She and it was entirely the the thing that suited me, and I flourished under you know her guidance and so on.
1: I think there's a, a couple of different themes that are going to come up through this episode one of those is teaching you teaching other people but also you being educated yourself and whilst you were developing this teaching aspect and then going forward there's also this concurrent you gaining education as well and you've already touched on that with the various mm. different things you've done up to this point but you went on and did some higher education can you tell us a little bit more about that journey and working through those different levels of higher education
0: Mm. so i was extremely fortunate that um my uh, direct line manager was a guy called robin stevens and he was um uh royal army dental corps um and the, the They were encouraging us to go to the local college, which was in Farnborough, to do an F E E F E A T C, F-E-A-T-C, Further and Adult Education Teaching Certificate. Um, And that was going to be funded. So, right, OK, off to night school or it might have been, you know, a day release or whatever. But interestingly... What that? although that gave me a civilian qualification they didn't teach me anything that I hadn't been taught on the Royal Navy's course mm. so that was a bit of a, a win really for me so I did that in the background but Robin was really supportive and then once we'd finished that they said well actually if you've done that you could do the University of Southampton's undergraduate teaching certificate so I went back and I said right I'd like to do this undergraduate t- teaching certificate yes 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 so off they they were, I think I think everybody was trying there was a lot of bon and me going around so everybody was trying to be very supportive of one another and well it sounds as though there was passion there yeah and energy and yeah. perhaps
2: an environment where things could flourish yeah and that that might be what we all need isn't it yeah. we we that's what we need in our working environment to make us grow and develop into yeah individuals don't we
0: yeah and and i think that the the navy they they the the herbert lots there was something called the allen acton memorial prize and allen acton had been a a um uh, a uh, head of the dental training school some years before but he died i think he died quite young i think it was cancer um and as a consequence of some of the work that i did i was nominated for the allen acton memorial prize um and and that was quite that was lovely and, and my mum came down to see it being presented by the Commodore at, at the time he came up um but they there was a citation and um colleagues from across the three services um were present when this was being read out and mum said she she said um, I was sitting next to somebody she said he was an an army lad she said and he'd said my god I didn't realize she'd done all that it makes me feel really ashamed that I've been sitting here and not done all of that and um, he said how you know how is that how has that happened and I but I thought well a lot of it is because I wasn't given to you know excessive drinking and those sorts of things but also because once you get on that get on that sort of train there are you meet lots of interesting people and it becomes very encouraging um, and also a little bit of success makes you realise that actually if I can do that what else can I do
2: well and I think yeah. it it also sounds that when, when you whatever you putting in you seem to be getting twice as much back yeah
0: yeah. So it, um, yeah, and I think that that's the thing. You know, people talk about um, what would retention and so on, but I think one of the things that retained me within the sector was the fact that I felt I got some meaningful work. It was meaningful, and I could see, I could see the fruits of my labour in terms of the individuals that I was able to influence and make sure that mm-hmm. where those opportunities didn't lie for me, I. I was able to create or be part of the group and the team that created something and contribute to providing those opportunities rather than going back to that drawing the, you know, drawing the ladder up, making sure that other people understood, understood that it took, you know, things take hard work, they take commitment and sometimes you fail. So you've got to dust yourself off and then go back in there. Um but it, things are possible and if it's you know if somebody else has achieved it then it's achievable isn't it so yeah bearing that that in mind when i had to take my maths SO level for three times.
1: <laughs> yeah. and then you decided to push yourself even further you went on and got your master's in human mm. resource development and then ultimately ended up doing a professional doctorate you mentioned about kind of being on that train and that taking you on a journey was that just a natural progression as mm. part of that journey or what led you to then go even further than you then you'd already gone in your education journey
0: mm. so i was able to get promotion um in the navy um and one of the the uh one of the promotions that i i got was as a warrant officer one um that wasn't even a, an option when I first joined the, the Naval Dental Branch. We didn't have those. Uh, we didn't have warrant officers. And they, that was something that um, came again as a result of the, the tri-service agency to bring us parity with the, the three services. Um, so through the work that I'd done, the work I was doing in education and, and, and whatever uh, and, and other areas, I'd been promoted. But then it was almost a ceiling at that point. And I could have stayed for a lot longer than I did. Um, But at that point, I recognised that if I wanted to move on and do other things, then it was going to have to probably be outside the Navy. Um, So... I in the one of the, the final things that I w- I did at um, at Aldershot was did a um, a post register a post degree course um, through uh, CIPD the the Chartered Institute of Professional Development so it was a diploma um, and although they didn't call it a postgraduate diploma um, in essence that was it was a level seven qualification. Um, and that was something that the, again, the armed forces were encouraging us to do, to go to night school and, and do those. And we've done things like AMSPA, the mat- practice managers qualification and, and whatever. You must
1: have always been at night school. It seems like th- if, all the way yeah, through. Yeah, it probably feels like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, that's interesting, actually, that you say it feels like I was at night school. But but there are places that, when I, that I didn't go to. That I always wonder, had I been posted like to Gibraltar or to London, would I have been spending more time doing other interesting things Mm. and not going to to night school? But I didn't. I was in these these other areas. So um, I did that CIPD course. And as a consequence of that, that allowed me recognition of prior learning. So I was able to then go and do uh, the final year of an MSC um, down at Portsmouth Business School. And the MSC I did was the MSC in Human Resource Development. So you could have done un- Human Resource tra- uh, um, uh, Human Resource Management or Development, and of course I did de- the Development one because education was where I was going. Um, so um, I did that, um, and actually Stephen Lambert Humble had left the Navy by then. He said, "When you're ready to leave, let me know. I've got a job for you." Right? Like, okay. Um, And um, he said, I am working down. No, he said, I'm the dean of uh, Kent, Surrey and Sussex, the NHS dean for Kent, Surrey and Sussex. He said, but we would like to try and get a undergraduate degree for dental care professionals designed and developed. Now, when I was working at Aldershot, as well as my teaching qualifications, I'd gone back to um, the training school. Um, and done course design and quality insurance in education courses Um, and so i was able to bring those skills um uh, um to to um to any new perspective so he knew what he
2: was dealing
0: with when he had worked (laughs) with you so he thought hey
2: i'm gonna remember that one and the next time i'm thinking about developing another idea, because this was, yeah, again, yeah. you know, he was groundbreaking yeah. in these ideas too, yeah. wasn't he? It?
0: He it was, it, absolutely. And, and of course, when I'd, I'd moved from Oldershot down to Portsmouth, and I was a regional manager. I'd got my degree, and I met somebody called uh, Sarah Holmes, or Sorry Hughes, as she's called now. And Sarah was working in, um, I think it's the, the St. George building, um, uh, and she wanted... Um, somebody to go in and do some training for her. So I got a part-time job on a Saturday to deliver the training for, for Sarah for her as a part-time lecturer down at Portsmouth University. So I got some experience of working in higher education. Of course, Sarah went on to to be um to to be the the mastermind, if you like, behind the the dental academy down in Portsmouth and drive you know and drove that that on and. Um, So I did that, Um, so I got a little bit of experience of working in higher education with my higher education qualifications, with my teaching qualifications, with my experience of design and development and, and those sorts of things. So I thought, right, before I get too old, at 40 I'll I need to get out there and I said to Stephen I saw him at a, uh, a conference I said well you know I'm ready to go now I said right I've got this job for you and um he said it's down in Kent at the University of Kent um he said um you'll have to apply like everybody else he said and, and um and be, be interviewed um but um this this is what we are, we're trying to do so I put my notice in um thank the Navy very much for everything and um I pl- and I, I was applied and was interviewed and I was given the the job down in Kent, um, and I joined there. There it will be sixteen years in September. Um, but so, the- I mean
2: that that sort of makes us think all of those things that you've done before. Yeah. But I don't think we really know what you're doing now. So tell us yeah. about your role at the University of Kent because that's obviously a university that's relatively new. Yeah. But certainly very forward thinking yeah. and developing lots of um, exciting educational opportunities for people so what's it doing so and what are you doing for it
0: so I joined um, in about 2007 um, and that I cre- was asked to create a um, undergraduate degree for dental care professionals um, there, there wasn't too much interest in, in doing that but alongside that a colleague of mine was trying to develop a, a, a master's uh, degree. I'd got my uh, undergraduate degree running with, uh, with uh, I, did, I think we did about five cohorts, so once a year, five cohorts, um, before we decided that actually we were better off looking at an MSC, the, the MSC option. So um, we created um, an MSC that could, it was um, transdisciplinary. Um, so we had people, we had a, a hub and spoke model where we had some core modules, evidence-based practice, research skills and dissertation. And then around that, we had modules that were unique to particular pathways. So we had surgical practice, we had minimally invasive surgery, we had support and palliative care, we had a dental pathway, we had all these pathways that were being developed by that time, I was a—I'd gone from lecturer to senior lecturer. But to get any higher, um, people needed to have a doctorate. So whether it be a PhD or a professional doctorate, but mm-hmm. a doctorate, and demonstrate that they got um, a scholarship and they got the research abilities. Um, and so um, I went to night school, and I was doing—not well, night school actually. It was—it was weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, But part time, but another course, nevertheless, and and another bit of development there. Yeah, exactly. So I looked around, and and I knew actually having done my MSC at Portsmouth, and um, I got a distinction for my project. um, And the person that was supervising me said, "Look, we think you should be doing a, a PhD," but they didn't really have the PhD I wanted down in Portsmouth, so. I had a look round and noticed that Nottingham at that time was the lead for for, for training and education. They were um, running the leadership school for um, for, for uh, education from primary to secondary education and they got a really strong um, postgraduate um, educational community and a lot, a lot of research was, was coming out of Nottingham uh, and it was a Russell group and, and so I knew I believed it would be really high quality and probably test me but when walking away with something from Nottingham University would have meant meant something and the fact that they were offering this part-time over a series of weekends and I could study the area that I wanted to study unlike a, a PhD where you might Um, be invited to carry out a study that's been sponsored from elsewhere within an institution or carry on the next sort of incremental layer of somebody's area of interest. This was studying, well, in in essence, it was about um, the way that our sector, the dental sector, sort of um, works in terms of communities of practice and how people work within communities of practice. And, eventually I had to take a year out but uh, I came back and um, I submitted uh, my thesis and then obviously you went for the dreaded viva um, and my external examiner um, uh, was uh, uh, Alison Bullock from um, Cardiff I don't know if you know Alison yeah yeah so she was my, one of my, she was the external examiner for my, for, and I, um, yeah, I got, I passed my Viva and my thesis and got no corrections. So,
1: Incredible achievement.
0: Yeah, so, and, and I, you know, that doesn't mean a lot to, unless you know about sort of higher education and doctorates, but only 10% of those that ever take or ever do a doctorate get get through without any corrections. And I thought, wow, so all that work and all that, doubt and all that. Yeah, but there's an
2: awful lot that came before that. So, you know, give yeah. yourself credit yeah. for all of that yeah. as well as yeah. doing that professional doctorate. Yeah. From a,
1: from getting that extra O level to come all that way through to, to yeah. there. That's an that's an incredible journey. And I think a lot a lot of these postgraduate courses and things might be seen as unconventional for yeah. dental nurses to do, but certainly to the level that you've done in terms of postgraduate training and, and getting your doctorate. Why do you think it is that it's seen as more unconventional, unusual for dental nurses to pursue these kind of pathways
0: yeah.
1: compared to maybe some of the other members of the dental
0: team? I think, I think first of all, the just to pick up on the point that you made that it was an unconventional route. The reason that I had to go through the routes that I went through was education and then Um, to the uh, human resources and then back to education again was because they simply weren't there were no um, undergraduate or postgraduate courses that were designed and developed specifically for dental nurses or any Mm. other dental care professional group it just simply wasn't there so so that's part of the driver the things that drove me when we were putting together the msc to make sure that it wasn't there for me, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be there for other people. And so that's one of the reasons that we created the pathways in the MSC that we we've got in with it, or yeah. at, at the moment within Kent, um, because other so people have to give other people those make sure that those opportunities were available. And it goes back to what you said yeah. before about helping people up that ladder yeah, from, from behind you and yeah, making absolutely. sure that that
1: that path is open to everybody else or creating a new path for people to yeah. be able to come through
0: and what I've observed as well from from that is that we've had dental nurses that have come onto the MSc without doing an undergraduate degree but they've been you know functioning at quite a high level um, and when you expose them to the same training that you expose any other member of the dental team to they the outcomes are just as good if not better than some of the other members of the dental team mm-hmm. and i think in some cases they're better because the dental nurses and other d- dcps as well or the dcp they work really really hard because they think they've got to mm-hmm. rather than other occupations that might rest on their laurels and think well I sh- i'll be able to do this because i've come from this background i've had top a levels and so on and they've not necessarily then put the extra efforting yeah. that makes a difference between getting a pass to a merit or a merit to a distinction mm-hmm. but the dental nurses are working hard hard and also the hygienists the therapists the dental clinical dental technicians they work really really hard to get and put lots of eff- that additional discretionary effort in and that's the thing that makes the difference and gets them not just a pass but a pass a yeah. merit and then a distinction and so, so people who are
2: sitting here listening to this because after all this is a podcast that's designed to sort of inspire and motivate people and certainly educate people what's out there. So what would be your comment about people saying, oh, you know, these things are quite expensive. Mm. Am I going to get very much benefit out of it? Mm. Is it worth my while? what sort of thing would you say to them?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you can't deny that there is an expense uh, involved. But if you look at something like an MSC, the MSC, um, the one that uh, is down at at Kent, and and it's not just Kent now, thankfully, there are still not enough opportunities compared with the amount of people, and particularly DCPs, that are coming through with an undergraduate degree. There's not enough postgraduate opportunities for them and there's still lots of opportunity for that to evolve uh, and uh, and and to uh, increase but in terms of um, in terms of cost to do a postgraduate qualification part time over 3 years postgraduate certificate postgraduate diploma and then di- uh, uh, dissertation so it's doable when they're trying to balance kid cat car dog everything else life work everything yeah and it's doable not only in terms of time, because a lot of the, the, the provision recognises that people have got to work during the, the week. And so they deliver at weekends. Um, so that, again, is, is possible. But though, because it's split up in the way that it is, it's to do a whole MSc is only a, about the same cost as it takes to do one year of undergraduate so three three and a half thousand for each year as you go up, so it's just a little bit more than doing a one year of, of undergraduate, which is nine thousand whatever two hundred three hundred a uh, a year, and that's for three years. So I would say to to a lot of people that when if they're ready to study and to do something that they can focus on their area, um so they're not being forced down a route that is of no relevance to them these the the types of courses I think people flourish in are where they're taught theories and and principles but they can immediately apply it to their area of interest or the area of practice Um, and that's really why we've had so many successes down at Kent and there are lots of people that have travelled down to Kent to do the MSc um, and, and gone on to do Great contributions within the sector. So we've got at least one of the postgraduate dental deans um, that is one of our graduates. We've, you know, we've got people that have had medals from uh, from the, the Royal College uh, and and from the the New College of uh, General Dentistry that have been our graduates. We've got people that are now presidents of the British Dental Hygiene and Therapist Society. We've had at least two presidents of the British Dental Nurse Association that have been our graduates. Um, so these people have not just gone, you know, we've got somebody that's leading um, uh, uh, DCP Education for Health uh, Education and uh, Improvement Wales. So all of these people are have gone on to do other things and, do, and make a larger contribution. And they've been able to do that and apply for those types of jobs because they've got an msc and i you know i mentioned i think earlier where some of the things that i went on to do weren't weren't around when i first um when i first joined the navy or first started to study um but having my academic qualifications enabled me to apply for things as things sort of came up as, as they were created and that's what doing that's what those other people have done too they've gone on to influence Tremendously across the sector because of of what they they've gone on, they've achieved through study um, and the networks that we've made. And I quite often draw on the people that have come through Kent to supporting other projects that I've you know must get involved in. So so yes, there is a cost, but you can offset that against the gain and. If people said, "Well, what will it allow me to do?" Well, what do you want it to allow you to do? What do you aspire to do? Yeah. And and we have um, people that um, so we, it's not just our DCP um, students, but our colleagues that are dentists that have come through and and uh, done the the MSC have gone on to do hu- you know hugely Im- uh, important uh, roles. And I was talking to. Um, one of the the students, we're up in the the House of Lords for a lunch for uh, one of the the um, uh, professional uh, membership groups that I'm a part of and uh, i just happened to sit next to her and she'd actually done um a pg cert that we'd validated um as part of uh, as part of as a foundation uh, dentist um when she was working in kent surrey and sussex and now she's doing um uh, facial surgery and she said that how much how important that had been to her in her pathway of, of moving forward uh, and so those are those types of rewards are really quite important and and other people that have done um, MSCs that we've been involved in as collaborative partners, for example, the Royal College of Surgeons, uh, they're now working in the hierarchy within, um, uh, well, it's NHS England now, but it was Health Education England and and so on. So if you look at the contributions, if you bring that together and, and imagine the influence that mm. that they're having. There's opportunities. Of yeah, yeah. loads, yeah.
1: yeah. And to pick to pick up on something that you said there about not necessarily knowing what the next step would be. Something might come up yeah. that um, that doesn't exist at the moment. And you said that these courses are expanding and yeah. it's becoming more 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 wide what's what's your what do you see in the in the future Mm. if you if you're looking 10 20 years ahead in terms of education for dcps do you do you think there is a a change coming do you think there is a shift what do you think will happen and what would you hope would happen in in that arena going forward
0: Mm. i mean it's interesting because we talk about um you know at the moment we talk about the dental deserts and the you know retention of, of professionals within the dental sector including dental nurses but also our colleagues that are uh, dental hygienists and dental therapists, and but I also see a big commitment from the NHS to train more dental hygienists and more dental therapists, and those individuals are coming through with undergraduate degrees. They're not going to be satisfied with that, yeah. and and, that, and and how on earth do could a sector ever possibly hope to retain the smartest and the brightest of our colleagues, dental hygienists and therapists, without giving them some sort of route up through and some progression? And the other thing is that that those individuals will also want to demonstrate the effectiveness of what they do and they need the skills that are delivered usually through an undergraduate, uh, a postgraduate course to be able to do that, so research skills, research methodology skills and those are the skills that you sort of touch on a little bit when you're doing undergraduate but not really and if you can gain those skills and and gain uh, confidence in those skills, doing a postgraduate course, then that's where those bodies of knowledge will establish about the effectiveness and efficiency of what dental hygienists and dental therapists and other DC, DCP occupations do, and and that's that's where I whether I see that happening, but I think that that would be the net, natural next step. Um, you you can't invite people into a sector without. Sh- being prepared to evolve those opportunities to ac- across all the occupational groups and not just keep them for one particular area. And, and whilst we, you know, at the moment we see that there's been opportunities to do an MSc in maybe say periodontal periodontology or, or and they're not necessarily always successful or, or taken up. But if you create the right MSC with the right in, in the right structure, in the way that I described to you earlier, we had a core set of core modules that then you can fix into um, pathways that are that appeal to a wider group. That's how you make a a course that is not only viable but it's sustainable. Um, and those are the things I would ask people that are able to influence higher education um, to think about when they are bringing they are tempting people to come and, um, uh, take up careers uh, as, as dental care professionals um, to think about that as a whole life career opportunity not just to train them to do an undergraduate job mm-hmm. and then that's it it's got to be more than that and we've got a lot of people now that are when I say a lot there are more people that are also thinking about doing part-time PhDs and professional doctorates. Brilliant. Why, you know, why haven't we got in some of our brilliant dental schools, part-time opportunities for things like a professional doctorate that is again structured in a way that you've got some core fundamental skills which are common whether you want to do a quants or a quals project, whether you want to do a clinical or a non-clinical project. Those skills are fun; they're fundamental skills, yeah. and then mm. you can clip on those those other you know the areas of interest. And there's no you know those are the things that I think will bring about that meaningful work for other people. It might not always mean that people get huge pay rises or but it's about m- having meaningful work and having well and, a and it's it makes a,
2: a happy clinician or yeah. or a happy registrant or whatever we yeah. um word we're going to use Th- those people are going to feel as though they're making a difference aren't yeah. they yeah and stimulated
0: it, yeah, mm. absolutely, and and what's interesting, I don't know if you've seen the um, College of General Dentistry's career pathways, um, but but again, if if you you know you look at that work that's been done as part of the College of, of General Dentistry, um, there is for the first time this framework that's been created um, to lead people to fellowship, full fellowship within uh, the college, and of course, there's an aspiration there for that to be a royal college, but um, from from across all the dental registered occupations. Um, and for dental nurses, um, there is a route in for those that are just embarking on their, their careers and building up some of the skills around um, uh, critical thinking and reflection and so on. All of those those types of things that will eventually lead people to understand that they're, they've got they're capable they've got hidden depths and there is something there that they can really I suppose seek to work through um I did some tap into a uh, little bit
2: of skill there that perhaps might not have been traditionally been um people might not have listened to that group of people or yeah or valued them in quite the same way that we certainly do now
0: yeah I think the the well the other thing is that the um in terms of retention, um, one of the, the the factors that that people value is having a career structure, and that those career pathways are offering that type of career structure. So there is a lot of potential there for people to think about that. If they want to keep dental nurses within organisations, then there's a there's a career st- structure there. I think people always think that the the issue to solve dental nurse retention or retention is about money well it does play a part obviously people want to be paid they've got bills and so on and but it's also from the research that i carried out recently it is about career structure and it is also about feeling a valued part of the team so those are the things that that people dental nurses have said that they really value and if you can bring that together then i'm sure if employers were able to do that they'd become the perfect employer wouldn't they
1: so as well as talking about the future of the profession and future of education just to wrap up i think everyone will be interested to know what the future is for dr debbie reed where uh, mm. where, where are you going from here is there anything else that you want to explore further
0: well, I I suspect in the next few months it will be my um, I'll be taking reducing my workload um, in terms of the work that I do for for Kent, but I also, as I indicated, I'm doing uh, I'm uh, a uh, honorary vice president for the British Dental Hygiene and Therapy Society, so I've got some support to do for them, and um, I'm also the chair of the uh, Dental Nurse and Orthodontic Therapy. Um, faculty for the College of General Dentistry so those are the the things that and part of the 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 council for the 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 College of General Dentistry now so those are the my areas of interest Um, but in terms of academic um, contribution um, the research that I carried out regarding dental nurse retention that I'll be writing that up and Um, You'll probably see me at dental shows in the autumn um, talking a little bit in a little bit more depth about that. And of course, um, these two areas that I've really got to do. these is obviously um, extracting uh, a book from my my thesis, which is um, sort of sitting in the corner nudging me every now and again uh, and also uh, to to write sounds uh, like we need another pandemic for you to um yeah you know, sit and um, oh, work, like busy. work, work, work yeah. and do yeah. that quietly i just haven't got time to work yeah. i don't know so <laughs> so 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 though so so that i think those are the areas i i would like to think that um my contribution is about now leadership and team working and succession and bringing people into um into the areas that i'm involved in and and thinking about the the individuals that might come next um, and also leaving um uh, the the books behind that that document um particularly um areas around things like the dental dressers and and so on that were you know the 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 started that started dental nursing uh, uh, um back in the the early part of the 1900s and that was part of my thesis so um taking that and evolving that um and I've been asked to to do various speaking events around around those areas um so that those are the, the things that are joyful and are really interesting and and it's a and and are really exciting because mm-hmm. just investigating i'm sure i would have been better off being a detective actually yeah. so investigating some of those those areas and finding bits of evidence and pulling that together to create to get a, a sense of a different type of narrative than perhaps one that's traditionally published i think is uh, is going to be a worthwhile project so that's where i'll be going next yeah
1: it sounds very busy But I think that's a a wonderful way to end. So thank you so much. Thank you very, very much for coming
0: on the
2: podcast today.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you you for inviting me. It was a privilege to come over. So I really do appreciate it. Thank you.
1: If you've been inspired by that episode, did you know that the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre provide training for the whole dental team? Follow us on social media or search for the Eastman Dental Hospital Education Centre to find out more.
0: We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe, and listen out for future episodes.